mobile home parks are kind of more work than multifamily for the operator. You can get better returns out of the gate than say a multifamily property because they trade for higher cap rates and the need for affordable housing is not going anywhere. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Surgeon Syndicate. We're here today with Amanda Cruz. Amanda, thank you for joining us. Hey, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right. Today's show is sponsored by Fortress Capital. Fortress Capital is a private equity company that I started to help physicians invest in real estate and alternative assets. So let's get started here. Amanda, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm from North Carolina. I grew up in a pretty traditional family as far as jobs and work. And I went to college at NC State and got a chemistry degree, which I then never used. (laughs) I went up and started working for the Department of Defense doing wargaming analysis and got my master's in applied statistics while I was up there. You know, loved that, hopped down to Capital One and was really climbing the ladder at Capital One for a long time, really having fun, data-driven, really exciting. And then I also just realized I was working so hard for someone else. And I really kind of wanted to do my own thing. So eventually I started investing in real estate And now I own a real estate investing company called Voyage Investing, along with my husband, Jonathan. And we buy value-add commercial real estate and and love to bring others along on the journey with us. All right. So how is it that you help other people come along on the journey with you? So, well, a couple of different ways. The most simple way is I give back to the community. I go and give talks. I talk to new investors. I go talk at RIA events. I'm talking at an event in South Carolina next week. And then I also bring passive investors into my deals, which helps them invest in real estate without having to put their time or expertise into it and leveraging our time and expertise. Okay. So tell me about the deals that you've been doing. I know you're making a little bit of a pivot here that you have been in a different asset class previously than you're focusing on now. Um, tell us about your journey through commercial real estate. Yeah. So we invest in mobile home parks to date. And so we also like commercial real estate on the non-residential side. So we currently own four mobile home parks in North Carolina, 113 lots in total. And then we are under contract on another 47 lots in Tennessee right now. So, you know, fingers crossed that one goes through next month. You never know. There are things we love about mobile home parks, right? They have great value add opportunities. They fit the affordable housing niche, which is there's a staggering shortage of affordable housing that's only growing. The number of mobile home parks are actually reducing. Even though there are some renegades out there building new parks, they're few and far between. And a lot of them are getting torn down for apartment buildings or other higher invest uses of tax revenue, really. And so those things we really love about mobile home parks. We also really like the non-residential side. There are also really great value opportunities 
which is what we search for. And when we say value add, we mean, hey, I'm going in and I'm buying an asset and it's bringing in so much money. And I'm going to buy it based on a multiple of how much money it's bringing in. But I know it can be bringing in even more money. So I know how to go and enforce that appreciation. Those value add opportunities are all that we buy. And those also exist in the retail space, the industrial space, the flex space, right? There are lots of different ways to invest in value add assets. And there can be a little bit easier on the movement, the management side when you're dealing with businesses compared to dealing with low income housing. And so that's certainly a positive in our eyes as well, just from the management perspective. So when you say value add, what are some of the things you do and how does that help your investors? So anytime we're talking about value add, ultimately we mean we're making the property worth more money than it was when we bought it. And this is commercial real estate. So when you buy it, you are buying a business, which means you're buying an income stream. So anything you can do to increase that income stream increases the value of the property. So you can either increase revenue or reduce expenses. Typically, we focus on the revenue side. So we're bringing rents to market. We're infilling vacancies. We're billing back utilities on the residential side where, hey, there's one master meter and the landlord's paying for all of the water. Hey, well, if you bill that back to the individual tenants, now you no longer have that expense. We also improve the infrastructure, even though that doesn't have necessarily a direct tie to the revenue coming in, it can, especially on sale, you can sell for a lower app rate if you have a nicer infrastructure, a nicer looking property, a freshly painted property, for instance, or with newly paved roads. And in commercial real estate, when you're talking about a lower cap rate, really all that means is a higher price. So we're going in and looking at all the different ways that we can improve the infrastructure, improve the revenue, reduce expenses, therefore force the value of that asset higher. You know, and this is an interesting one, I think, for a lot of people when they're first coming into investing in real estate or investing passively and what kind of deal they're looking for is they're stabilized deals. And stabilized deals are ones that, say, you're buying a park that is already got nice amenities. It's well-maintained. All the lots are full. Um, so there theoretically is less risk there because the known income stream is known, that there's known what the cash flow will be and kind of what the profit will be on it. Where a value add, in theory, might have more risk because these things aren't already in place. But for an experienced operator, to me, that almost seems like it's less risk because if it's already stabilized, it's hard to go up, but there's still things that can go down. You know? Absolutely. So I guess I see two sides of that. On the stabilized side, you're right. In theory, that is less risk because things are already working. They're already proven out. At the same time, if you don't have any value add that you can give, right? then something can go wrong and your money's gone. So if you have a stabilized property, then you compare that to a value add property. Are you trying to grow your wealth or are you trying to preserve the wealth that you already have? 
stabilized properties also have lower returns than value-add properties. So if your goal is to preserve the wealth that you already have, then I think stabilized properties can be a really great addition to a diversified portfolio. Now, you may be then buying your own asset. You could go buy a Dollar General or a Starbucks. You don't need an operator that's experienced to go do that. It doesn't require management, Um, but your returns are going to be really, really low, like maybe 5% total. And you're really just trying to preserve that wealth and hope for appreciation. On the value add side, that's more of an offensive play. You're going in, you're getting higher returns, you're beating the stock market, but there is a little bit of a riskier component because you're dealing with an asset that it doesn't have a Starbucks in place, right? Or it has some vacancy. Now, as you said, getting an experienced operator is really a key because no matter what in real estate, you are going to have risks, right? Just like in the stock market, you have risks in any investment, maybe outside of like treasury bills. But if you want to go grow well, then going with an operator who has done before what they're proposing to do with your money, right? Who's gone in and added value to real estate and has investors that have already gotten returns from them. Those are things you can do to reduce your risk, as well as looking at the numbers yourself. Right, especially doctors. I mean, sure, you're not mathematicians, right? But you guys are good at math. So you can see some simple things like, hey, there's this much income, there's this much expenses. What is the debt on this? How much is left over after that debt? And looking at those proposals and kind of asking those questions to make sure that you're reducing the risk as much as possible. Yeah, it was an interesting thing for me when I first entered this world. Like, well, who are you going to sell it to and why don't they buy it here? And that there are just people who operate in different places. So there may be a mobile home park that was owned by somebody who built it or bought it 10, 20, maybe even 30 years ago. And they reached a point in life where they didn't want to run it anymore. And it just kind of spit off money and it spit off enough money. And so they didn't do anything with it. They just collected the checks. They paid their bills. They went on vacation and everything was good. But now 30 years later, there's a bunch of wear and tear. The roads haven't been kept up. Maybe now it's 30% vacant because people moved out. But for them, the checks were still coming in and it was enough money. But now the time comes where they decide to sell it. And now there's an opportunity for the value add investor to come in and fix the things that are wrong. And now it's a nicer place. So you can charge higher rents, which then bring in people with nicer mobile homes, which increases the value again. And all these things kind of grow. And then on the other side, if you say, okay, we've pushed the value up a bunch with all these things we've done, there could be somebody else who says, as you were talking about, we just want stabilized property to protect our investors' assets and generate a 5% return. So they don't do the work of fixing a park that needs upkeep. They just want one that's already fixed. So now there's another person in the stream. And it might even be that that person now goes and collects a bunch, 
and sells them to some bigger private equity fund that only buys assets that are $100 million. So you need enough of them that they're worth $100 million to sell them to that fund, and they'll pay an even lower cap rate. So they're just really looking for a lower, safe place for the people who are investing with them. And so it's an interesting, there's all these places like, well, why would somebody sell it at that? Or why would they do that? Why did somebody else? And that, Absolutely. that was- You're totally spot on there, right? Hey, if there's no value add left in this property, why would anybody else want to buy it? Because that's one of the great things about real estate. There are a million different ways to do it. You can buy a Starbucks or you can invest passively in some value add syndication, or you can be a REIT buying these with insurance money from people's pension plans. And guess what? You can pay a lower cap rate, a higher price, because your investors, these insurance companies or people's pension plans, they only need a 3% return. So you don't have to have this value add, right? You can buy stabilized properties. And it's, are you looking for appreciation? Are you looking for cash flow? Are you looking to grow wealth or preserve wealth? There are so many different ways to look at it. And there's a different fit for different people. Yeah. So back to what's kind of been your specialty, because uh, mobile home parks, or as they might have been called previously, trailer parks, it's been an interesting journey for that asset class the last decade or so, because it wasn't that long ago that nobody wanted them. It was kind of a, you know, like a not cool place to invest. Tell me a little bit about that. I think if doctors out there have never been exposed to mobile home parks, they could be like, why would I want to own a trailer park? Well, let me say, you probably wouldn't want to just go live there, but that doesn't mean that it's not a great investment. So I would say kind of separate that in your mind. They can be really great neighborhoods. In fact, we go in and make them nice neighborhoods where families want to live and have a safe place, but they can't afford a million dollar house. They can't afford a hundred thousand dollar house necessarily, but they can still have a nice place to live. But mobile home parks, so if you go back a decade, you're right, they were the redheaded stepchild of investing. Banks wouldn't touch them really, so they were harder to finance, which as we know, and anybody who didn't know is really learning this year, debt drives everything with commercial (laughs) real estate. So if you can't get a loan on it, it's not an attractive asset. Well, that all changed about seven or 10 years ago. Fannie and Freddie entered the space, so they will now finance certain parks not most, but certain ones. And that, of course, is going to bring in so many other lenders, right? So all these small local commercial banks started a decade ago funding these mobile home parks where they wouldn't before. And even that has changed. They used to not fund park-owned homes. They would only fund the lots, but they wouldn't fund the purchase of the actual mobile homes themselves. Well, now they're starting to do that as well because this industry has really evolved. So mobile home parks are kind of more work than a multifamily, an apartment complex for the operator, for the person who's running it. So I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, if you're a busy doctor and you're working 50 or 60 hours a week, you know what you should go buy? Just go buy the mobile home park and buy it. Like I would not recommend that. It takes a lot of effort. You can get better returns out of the gate than say a multifamily property because they trade for higher cap rates than an apartment complex. And the need for affordable housing is not going anywhere. It's growing like crazy. And so this is a really good niche to fit that. And a lot of investors have jumped on board 
Unfortunately, that also means now the owners of mobile home parks understand their assets are worth a lot more than they used to be. So the word has definitely spread. So mobile home parks became unpopular for cities for a while, and they wanted them gone in some places and redeveloped, or they wouldn't approve any new one. Have you seen any shift in that, or is it still kind of a downhill trajectory? Yeah, it's still kind of a downhill trajectory. And if you think about it, a mobile home park, the value of that is going to be less than townhouses, which are more condensed or an apartment complex. So the tax revenue is really not going to be there, even though they really need affordable housing and they'll shout from the rooftops that they really need affordable housing. It's not popular with nearby residents if you try to build a brand new mobile home park. So you can do it, but it's in the right city. It's nice new parks with all brand new homes. We're not talking buying parks with old 80s, which we do. We do that and that works out great, but that's not what the cities love. Okay. Yeah. Because newer mobile homes, I mean, the construction of modular construction and even a lot of apartment buildings are built in a factory and then brought in on a truck and stacked up. It's not like they're bringing in truck full of two by fours and nailing them together on site anymore. Is that part of, I guess, the idea of manufactured housing because there's such a shortage of workers, of employees in any construction field right now? It, uh, I had dinner with a guy last night who owns multiple flooring shops across Wisconsin and He was just like, oh my goodness, it's so hard to get people. He goes, people don't realize that once you are a trained, I didn't realize this. I know an electrician makes good money, but a trained commercial floor installer with a union job will make $70,000 a year. Wow. (laughs) So if you kids don't want to go to college, there's some good jobs out there right now. Definitely. But because there are such a shortage of people in the trades that you're starting to see where it's harder to build things because we own some stuff in the upper peninsula of michigan and there's just there are no builders available to try and do anything and so it seems like the only things that get done are bigger projects and a lot of those bigger projects are bigger builders from outside of town that you can bring in a crew to build a hotel to build an entire apartment complex, but you can't bring somebody in to refurb an existing building is almost impossible. Yeah. So there is some of that. Now we haven't run into it right now. Like We are able to get brand new mobile homes right now from factories for a very good price, by the way. We can get them delivered to our park for like $45,000, a piece. Um, So just really, really great prices. Now, that wasn't the case a year and a half ago, right? With COVID and everything going on, there were backups and you couldn't get new homes. Now you can. So they, at least at the factories, have solved the employment crisis, the labor crisis enough to be producing mobile homes. The much harder part is actually getting the people. So once we have the home on site, well, now we have to add decks to it and add skirting to it and get it tied down and set up and all these things. That is the hard part for us as the operators is finding the person to come in and do that. But luckily, building the homes themselves is currently not a bottleneck. Okay. Yeah. I just keep wondering with new mobile home parks where cities might go, well, if we can get that put in, but they would rather hold off for what they really want. 
it's tax revenue. It's also perception. So there is a company out there and they're building brand new mobile home parks. Now they're really nice and it's kind of a different take on affordable housing because then people have to come in and pay like $160,000 for their home, which is affordable to some people, but it's not like ultimately solving like the real affordable housing right crisis yeah. for the low income people. They're building them and they had a ton of pushback from local residents, right? Because as soon as you say, oh, I'm going to build a mobile home park over here, everybody on those mom's Facebook groups is like wildfire spreading this news. You have to go stop this. You wouldn't believe like what they're doing, even though it's going to look really nice. So you have to really fight that public perception as well. Interesting. Maybe we just need to call it something different, that it's not a mobile home park anymore. Now Are we you... call it affordable housing communities. Oh, nice. Does it come in with wheels or does it come in on a truck? So it comes in on a truck, but it does have wheels. And then once you get it in place, then you take it off of that because they have to just sit there for a while until they're set up. Okay. So the difference, some manufactured housing comes in on a truck and doesn't have its own wheels, but if it's considered a mobile home, then it has wheels. Yeah. There are specific differences between manufactured housing and mobile home. But yeah, what we deal with is not the like, hey, build on site, but it looks like a stick built home. It's definitely like the single section. How often does a mobile home get moved out of a park once it's there? Very rarely. So in our park, I think we had some abandoned homes that we scrapped, but we have only had one home in our 113 lots that we have. And we started in 2020 is when we bought our first park. So a little over three years ago, we've had one home that got moved. And that wasn't by a resident who lived in it. That was a handyman who we sold it to so he could fix it up. And then he brought people to buy it from him and we didn't approve them. And he got mad and he took it out of the park oh. and moved it somewhere else. So it is very rare because it costs five to $10,000. It's going to cost you about $5,000 to get a home move from one place to another, but it doesn't stop there because you have to get tied down and you have to have your electrical and your plumbing set up and you have to put decks on it and you have to put skirting around the base of it. So, I mean, it can cost 12, 13, $15,000 to get a mobile home set up in a new location. And the affordable housing community that we're serving, they don't typically have the money to do that. So instead, they'll sell the home to somebody else to who will then own it, and they'll keep paying the lot rent to them. Okay. So your turnover versus an apartment building, though, is it a stickier clientele that they don't move as much? Absolutely. If they own their own home, it's much, much stickier. And then even if they do decide to move, again, they sell it. To somebody you approve and they keep paying us. So one way or another, that lot keeps paying their rent. Now on the park owned home side, because some of these mobile homes are owned by the park. Some of them are owned by the residents. They pay a called a lot rent, which is lower, less money, right? A park owned home where the park actually owns the home, it's just a standard rental at that point. It may be $800 instead of your $1,500 rental. But in that case, you're going to have a similar turnover as you know, maybe an apartment complex where there are renters coming in for a year or however long. How they take care of their place. Because if somebody owns their own home, whether it's a mobile home or a home, do you find a different engagement from the community for the people who own their own homes versus park owned? Yeah. So a lot of parks that have more tenant owned homes, people have that pride in ownership, right? They'll actually, just like with 
a rental stick built house. If you have a renter in your neighborhood, you tend to know it because they're not weeding out front and they're not putting down mulch and all that stuff. It's kind of the same in a mobile home park. If you're a renter, you don't care as much about the house as you do if you own it. So it's a little bit of a similar comparison there to a stick built house. Okay. So investing in this space, since this is a show for doctors, any advice from your experience? Um, my experience has been with a lot of doctors that they have a hard time starting and investing in real estate because it's something different than what they know. They've always heard a story about somebody who lost money in real estate. It can be a difficult jump. What would your advice be for somebody who's having a hard time getting going? Say, give yourself a time box to understand it. You have to understand it or you're never going to do it. So listening to this podcast is a really great first step, right? Listen to other podcasts, understand the red flags, understand what to look for. And also, I mean, there are risks. So understand how to mitigate those. And maybe you just pick one type of asset. Maybe it is multifamily or maybe it is mobile home parks. And that way you can study the people who are doing that asset class. And then you can go have conversations with them. Ask them, where have people failed? What should I be asking you? And you'll have those conversations with five or 10 operators, and you'll have a really good idea of what's happening in the space and who's doing what. And those conversations are great because every conversation, I think sometimes as a doctor, we're afraid to talk to people and look dumb because you've been seen as an expert for so long. And just because you call somebody doesn't mean you have to invest with them. And every time you're going to learn something that even if you called and you knew nothing and you're like, I don't know, absolutely, I want to start investing in this space. What should I know? And they'll tell and, you something. Absolutely. And get on the email list of a couple people that you think you might want to invest with. right? And so in my emails that I send out every other week, I will have in there, hey, schedule a call with me. Let's have a conversation. So after people have seen over and every other week, right? Learning about the current market and the current interest rates and what is value add and what is a syndication. Then they'll often have a phone call with me and they'll say, Hey, I had these couple questions or what does this look like? I'll send them an example of an offering memorandum we've sent out before so they can see, Hey, here's what something looks like. We don't even have anything right now, but at least you can see, Hey, here's what you can be looking at and you can ask questions about it. And then you'll know what to expect when somebody does have an offering. That's great advice for a place to get started. Well, Amanda, we should have in the show notes ways to get a hold of you. Any last things you would like to add? Sure. And you can check out my website, voyageinvesting.com. And if you are interested in signing up for our newsletter, you can do it right on the website. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Amanda Cruz. And I look forward to you know helping you out, Mike, and hopefully answering some questions for people and spreading the knowledge on commercial real estate. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you got value from this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional, and you can help them by sharing this content today. I'd also love to serve you better, so I wanted to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you take a moment and leave an honest written review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, 
If you're a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help you. Schedule a call and we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.